You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. I'm excited just to share, share the word that, that's on my heart this morning. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you have a Bible, would you go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As you do, I'm just going to pray really quick for us. Father, I, I thank you for every person in the room. Man, woman, and child, I pray, Father, that you would just uh, send uh, just revelation to us, that you would just rest upon us, uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. I pray that we are the people that respond to that call that Jesus made multiple times when he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. That is us. We are designed to hear from the Lord, and we actually do hear your voice, God. I proclaim it and confess it and, and prophesy it over these people. They hear your voice. They know the voice of the shepherd and the voice of the stranger they do not know. I thank you, Father, for guiding us by your word today. We give you authority. We give you honor and praise, and I ask you to move in this room as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, today I want to remind you, I'm going to speak and, and just remind you that if you're a born-again believer uh, of Jesus, you are on assignment while on the earth. You're on assignment while you're on the earth. I hope to motivate and to bring a charge to you this morning that awakens you to the purpose and the importance that is attached to your individual life. The title of the message, if you're taking notes and you need a title, it is On Assignment. The title is On Assignment. So let's read Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth. And he's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. You are salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it, speaking about the earth or the world around us, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Then in verse 16, he says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is one of my all-time favorite sets of scriptures because uh, these sets of scriptures, they remind me of what my life should look like to the world around me, and they keep me grounded in this place of knowing that everything that I do on the earth should be unto the glory of God. It should be that God gets the glory for the way that I live my life. It should be that God gets the glory for the way that I speak, the way that I teach, but the way that I serve and the way that I am. It just is one of those grounding scriptures to me uh, that, that reminds me that everything that we do, we should be shooting to give God glory. As salt on the earth, we are designed to be a preservative to the world around us. A world around us that is constantly in this place of kind of moral decay, if you will. It doesn't take long to realize that uh, there are a lot of things in, going on in the world that, that are trending down in terms of uh, keeping a moral compass or a moral standard alive. And our design and our purpose as salt on the earth is to come alongside and preserve the world that is dying so that we would live from a position and live from an understanding that we carry something greater and they actually need it right? 
The other thing about salt is it is designed to uh, enhance the flavor of whatever it is applied to. You ever gone to a place and ordered a plate of food that you expected to be really delicious and you took a first bite? Or you got some chips from a restaurant and you took a bite and they were just kind of there? You know what I mean? They're just, yeah, there's, it's food. But then you just take some salt, not a little but a lot, because that's what we do. It is because we're healthy people. We just throw some salt all salt it and then salt it again just in case. But salt always enhances the flavor. And I just want you to know that the way in which you were designed by God, once you've given your life to Jesus, the anointing and the grace that comes upon your life, you were designed to help preserve, but then also add flavor to every single sphere of influence that you're connected to. You are designed to help people be ready to be received by the Lord. As the light of the world, we are designed to be positioned and not hidden. He says, when you light a lamp, you put it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light, not under your bed, right? Not under a cover, because we're designed in a way that if, if we were to turn all of these lights off in the room and everything was pitch black and I only was the one that had a light and I was standing on the floor level, I would only be giving light to a first few rows of people in this room. But if I were to go right in the middle of the room, climb upon a ladder that was eight foot up in the air and hold that light above my head, everyone in the room would probably be able to see enough to actually move about the room. That is what he is saying. Your design is to be put in the center and up high. Now, what I'm not telling you is that you're supposed to be put uh, in the center and up high because it's all about you from this place of pride and arrogance. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you carry the greater one on the inside of you and you just have to position your life so that people come into your sphere, they see your good works, but they give God the glory. We should never climb that ladder and position our light so that we get glory, right? We have to constantly make sure that we're not trying to steal something that is God's because the glory that belongs to God will crush your life if you try to steal it. You are not meant to be able to handle that, handle that kind of weight and honor on your life. I love these two sets of, this one set of scriptures. These two things, they lay out such an understanding of how we are to work and live within the world around us as we uh, as we become salt in life. Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. Take a look at this one with me as well. This is Jesus speaking. He said another parable that he spoke, Jesus. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now leaven is a, is a substance, uh, typically yeast, that, that is used to make dough rise. If you're a baker, you understand. There we are. Can't cut me out. I will scream if I have to. This is a, a substance that's used to cause the dough to rise. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is to be applied in the earth around you like leaven so that the earth around you, the conditions of the world around you would rise to a different standard. When you're interjected as a born-again child of God into the culture of the world that is around you, it should start shifting the atmosphere. It should start changing, and when you are working yourself into the middle of your job and into the middle of serving and into the middle of just being life, uh, being a person that has life in Midland, Texas, everywhere that you're at, it should start rising alongside so that they start looking like you 
in the eyes of God because Jesus actually came and he died once for all. Jesus, he is so faithful. In, Matthew, in, in Galatians chapter five, verse nine, he, he's talking about false teaching. And he says, when leaven is added by way of false teaching that it changes the whole batch of dough. Basically, in false teaching, when false teaching is interjected into a sphere of influence, it perverts the truth and misleads the church. And so if that's what false teaching does, like leaven, and it corrupts the whole batch, what would it look like if the kingdom of heaven was interjected into where you work or into where you serve or into where uh, you, you grocery shop? If that's what false teaching does, what does the truth do? in the areas of, sphere, of influence that you have in your life. I believe that God is asking us and wanting us to be salt and light, but also work our ways as leaven into the batch of dough so that everything around us begins to rise up to the standard that Jesus actually gave his life for. Amen? I believe that Jesus, he didn't just die to get you to heaven. That's beautiful, that's great, that's a part of his plan, but he actually died to get heaven into you. Meaning, when he taught us to pray, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said uh, that your will would be done, your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning that we're responsible to carry this greater reality of heaven uh, to the earth, not to dumb down heaven to the standard of earth, but to rise as we're infiltrating every part of society and every part of culture to help that culture rise to this place that the realities of heaven start invading the earth. You carry life-changing agent on the inside of you and his name is Jesus. The word says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Amen. I'm gonna shout myself down and be okay. I believe that God is, is, is calling us to, to understand and live in this reality and conviction that there is, a, there is better waiting for us and there is better waiting for the world that Jesus actually died for. And we are the ones that are going to carry this forward. The way that we walk and the way that we live in authority and purpose, uh, it should bring the realities of heaven into the lives of the people that we are encountering every single day. Uh, I want you to understand also that the moment that you were born again, the moment that you gave Jesus your life, everything about your life became spiritual. Now what I'm not saying is to be hyper spiritual where your feet never touch the ground and no one can relate to you. That's not helping anyone. Yeah, there are some times when God takes you to a very, very high level of you're just feeling radical and everything about you is radical. It's there is those times, I believe that 100%, I've been in those places, but we have to be as people that are going to deliver something to everyone else that is palatable. We're, we have to at some point let our feet touch the ground every now and then so that we might actually be able to sympathize and understand and have relationship and conversation that actually would let us create some relationship that goes a long way that we might be able to actually give them Jesus. The world around us is waiting. But everything about your life, once you gave your life to Jesus, it becomes spiritual. And everything that you do is valuable because of whom you're doing it unto and who called you. And that is God. When you step out, you step out with the Son of God, with the name of Jesus attached to your life. 
that should mean something to you. When you're walking in the supermarket, when you're doing your job, when you're living your life, knowing that the name of Jesus is attached to your life, it should mean something different to you, that you walk in a different way, that you talk in a different way, that you lead in a different way. In this room, there are lots of different people, and in this room, your, your title and the place that you work, it might be that you're CEO. That might be your title where you work, but your title in heaven is son or daughter of the Most High God. You might actually be a MDO teacher on Wednesdays or Thursdays or whatever day you work, but in the kingdom of God and in heaven, your title is son or, or it is daughter of the Most High God. These are super important things for us to pay attention to. We may be called something on earth, but we're actually called something higher in heaven. You carry the name of Jesus everywhere that you go. And that title that he gives us is the highest honor. You need to also understand this, that you are in ministry. Like, I didn't sign up for ministry. Go back, read the fine print, it's in there. Your title might be CEO of a corporation, but that title and you are not less important than the title in the church of prophet. Your title might be preschool teacher, but you are not less important as pastor. In the sphere of influence that you serve in or the place that you work in, whatever you do, it is not a dumbed down version of what I get to do on a Sunday. You are just as important as every single person that has a title in the church world. You have to start believing that. You have to understand that we actually really need you to join in the carrying and in the fighting and the advancement of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we are all part of a body. Scripture tells us this. And you might be a finger in the body of Christ. You might be an arm or an elbow or an eye. I'm pretty sure that nobody is the armpit because Jesus wouldn't do that to anybody. But we are all part of the body of Christ in some way, shape, or form. And we actually all need each other pulling each, our own weight to actually advance the kingdom of God. I wanna also debunk this, that if you're, the thought of if you're not in full-time ministry, meaning if you're not on a paid church staff or if you don't actually go to a church building for work, that you're not actually in full-time ministry. That is not true. You are just as much in ministry as I am, and it might just look a little different. For instance, I'm clearly a man, right? Yeah. Seriously, church? Yeah. Come on. I have not been altered in any way, I promise. I am clearly a man. Just because Dwayne The Rock Johnson is smaller than I am doesn't make him any less of a man than I am. We're both men, he just happens to have a different appearance. And unfortunately for him, I pray often that he catches up. The truth is, is that 
we start categorizing each other. We start sizing each other up. We start comparing giftings and comparing talents and comparing anointings and comparing knowledge and all of these different things. And before you know it, by the end of the day, we say that those people are in ministry and I am not. And that line has to be demolished. You have to understand that uh, even in Ephesians, it talks about how God, in Ephesians 4, how Jesus, he set some apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is what my role and my job in this moment is, is to come alongside and give you keys that will help you actually engage in the world around you so that you're doing the work of ministry. I get to do that too as a saint, but right now I'm doing it as a pastor. I'm changing, I'm changing roles a little bit. You are needed and you're set in place to always be a representative of Jesus. It's just who you are. You're on a kingdom assignment. You're on a kingdom assignment. This means that you might have a job in a worldly company, you might have a job in a world system, uh, but your, your higher calling of being on kingdom assignment, it actually supersedes that title or that calling that you're applying yourself every single day at your job. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it's okay for you to take a three hour lunch because you needed to spend time with Jesus in order to get ready for your kingdom assignment. Don't do that. Don't come to me with your need for personal counseling or, or pastoral care because you spent three hours at lunch and then you got fired. That's not what I'm saying to do, but you have to understand that as a Christian, you have to take on a different standard for the way in which you apply yourself in the world that is around you. In the Old Testament of the Bible, we're actually gonna read a scripture because the scriptures are important. There's a man named Daniel whose life, I believe, speaks so strongly into this topic of being on assignment and what it looks like to actually be on an assignment but then work in a world's system. Daniel was uh, a slave. He was captured by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, taken captive uh, the king of Babylon to be set as a slave and a servant to this king. On multiple occasions, Daniel was summoned to uh, interpret a dream that a king had, and every single time he interpreted just right, and every single time he gained favor in the eyes of that king that he was serving. And as those kings died, he stepped into a role to serve the next king, and five kings later is what he had ended up serving in total. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 17 through 21 is something that we're going to read. Daniel and, and three of his friends, they were called by the king and they went through this three-year uh, training process before they, were be able to, uh, before they were actually able to be found suitable to be used as servants of the king. Verse 17 of Daniel chapter one, it says, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, 
and Azariah. Those, those guys actually, we would know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abid, Abid, Abidnego. I was going to call them a billy goat because uh, I heard a pastor do that once. And I thought of it and I was not going to say it and then I couldn't stop thinking about it. Anyways, he is not a billy goat. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them to be 10 times better than the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Pretty incredible. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. And we're gonna read one more set of scriptures about Daniel. Daniel chapter six, one through three. It says it pleased Darius. Now this was another king that Daniel served. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and of these three governors of whom Daniel was one. So remember, Daniel went through a three-year process to be uh, deemed qualified to actually serve the king. Now, as progression has happened, as as favor has been found, as he has worked himself into, like leaven, into these kingdoms, things have begun to rise. He's been elevated into this place, and it says that of the three governors whom Daniel was, one, so from servant to governor, that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would not suffer loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king gave thought to setting Daniel over the whole realm. Pretty pretty incredible. Each king that Daniel served, he stayed faithful in the middle of his serving of them. Now you need to understand this, that these kings that Daniel was serving, they didn't serve the same God that Daniel served. They didn't live by the standard, the moral standard, the moral compass that that Daniel lived by. They were of the world, so to speak, right? And Daniel was not. And he was living his life as faithful with a spirit of excellence and serving as best that he could, not to defile himself or uh, to actually cross the boundaries that God had put in his life. And so Daniel had this ability to serve with the spirit of excellence, one king after another. None of them served other None of them served the God that he served. They worshiped other gods. In fact, the people that Daniel worked alongside of even would devise plans to actually have the king punish Daniel and punish Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for actually choosing to serve their God over the other gods or over the king. And all the while, through all of these different bits of turmoil and all of these accusations, Daniel had this ability, this steadfast ability to serve with honor and serve with excellence. Which means that the thought of us as Christians thinking that in order for us to actually achieve what God has designed us to achieve, we have to work in a Christian context. Well, I had to quit my job because, I mean, it just wasn't a Christian atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just just couldn't pray there. Couldn't read my Bible there. So I just had to quit. You don't have to work in a Christian environment to be who God designed you to be. In fact, I think what we actually need as Christians is we just need to get tough. We need to quit squirming in our seats. 
when something that doesn't line up with the word in our workplace. The other thing that we have to come into this place of understanding is you're there on mission, on kingdom mission assignment to actually serve. You may get paid from them, but you're actually designed to serve them. You might get paid for them, but you're actually just designed to live and breathe and work in an environment, show up on time, that's a big one. Leave on time, that's also a big one. Your design is to actually work yourself into that atmosphere by being consistent and being excellent so that the whole place rises. We have to get over this mindset that, that as a Christian, I am working with the intention of taking over. We don't actually have to take over the places that we're set in. What if we chose the mindset of this? What if we chose to believe that the person that is over us or the person that is the CEO or our boss or whoever that is, our sales manager, whatever it is that you do, what if we chose to take on the mindset that maybe God appointed him for the position and he just needs someone that would come alongside him and serve him in a spirit of excellence so that hopefully one day he is led into this place where he actually gives his life to Jesus. Then he starts to live and lead with the grace of God that is on his life. What if we were supposed to be propping them up instead of trying to rip them out? I believe that that is the kingdom in a nutshell. Daniel was this servant who had this next level ability to operate at a high level of excellence. Uh, the platforms of influence in the world around us, I believe, won't be offered to us by coming out with guns blazing, spraying Christianese all over the place. When we come in spraying our, our hallelujahs and praises of the Lord and all of the things, all the time, to every single situation and circumstance, these people may not have even heard the name Jesus. I know that that sounds rare. They've maybe never even stepped into a church. What if they just needed you to actually show up on time, do your job with excellence, and then leave? And before you know it, the thing that you're doing that seems so monotonous, it actually starts speaking high levels of volume to them, and they start asking, why are you the way that you are? We don't wait for them to ask because we think that we have to tell them. Yeah, there's an opportunity for you to tell them, but a little bit of relationship will go a really long ways. Bill Johnson, he says it like this, and I really love this. He says, be sure to preach the good news everywhere you go, and when necessary, use words. I love that so much. It's like my granddad used to say, don't tell me, show me. The world is waiting for us to do just that. Stop telling them and actually show them. What does it look like to actually live a life that is laid down for your neighbor? What does it look like to live a life as 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, a life where you love and your love has this ability to suffer long? Where you actually walk day in and day out with someone in trenches of a, of a job that maybe you don't like, of an employer that maybe you don't like, in an atmosphere that maybe isn't the healthiest, but you just choose to actually one foot in front of the other every single day, you make the same decision, I'm going to be excellent and I'm gonna lead and serve in honor. What if you started doing that and it shifted everything? Love 
suffers long. It's going to take some time with people, but I want you to understand that people are worth it. They really are. People are worth it. There'll be moments in your ministry on the earth at, that you'll get to operate overtly, meaning that you'll actually get to, to live your, your life, your ministry as an out loud ministry. There might be a time when the Lord's like, won't leave you alone about a word of knowledge, meaning that he's giving you a, a knowing about someone else's life and it's so that you would actually speak to them the answer that they need. Or maybe that you would get a word of knowledge about them having some sort of pain in their shoulder and you prayed for them and they got healed and before you know it, it was a celebration and God got glory and they got saved. There might be times when that happens and there might be times where you're just designed to minister covertly, meaning you're almost under the radar. And that ministry looks like you just clocking in, doing your job with excellence, being as sweet as you can to people, being who you are in here and out there. We shouldn't have two different kinds of lifestyles, so to speak. And you constantly show up and you constantly put forth the energy and you constantly love people and you constantly do the things that got you to where you are today. And before you know it, someone just asks one question and it unravels everything for them. This is what it looks like to live on kingdom assignment, where we live on purpose so that one day somebody is convicted by the Holy Spirit and they ask, what must I do to get saved? If we love our neighbor well, Jesus will get his foot in the door. And he is the one that needs the foot in the door, right? Most of the time I feel like sometimes uh, we, we can actually get, get right in the way. Jesus, uh, and Daniel both gave us great examples of a life that looks like serving those around us. And Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. We have to learn from Jesus, earn, uh, learn those ways about him. And then we have to figure out a way to serve with this high level of excellence. This is, excellence can be defined as behavior that shows a high moral standard. It is Christ-like integrity. It's the practice of it's the principle of getting to work on time. It's the principle of coming to lunch, uh, coming back from lunch on time. It's the principle of this, pushing your shopping cart into the shopping cart collector when you are done with your shopping cart. I said this in the first service and it bears repeating, but you can't be a part of this church. If you are the type of person that leaves your shopping cart wherever you decide that you wanna leave your shopping cart. And I'm actually not kidding at all because that is serving and that is serving with excellence. Like, oh, I thought that meant something way different. I thought serving and serving with, no, no, no. Actually just be a person that lives in the world around you and makes it convenient for other people to live in the same world. That is what it looks like to be on kingdom assignment and accepting your assignment. Push your shopping cart into the collector. We can have a demonstration if we need to, but please, Please do that. Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly as under the Lord as it says in Colossians chapter three, verse 23. I believe that God is, is telling us that we have a role to play on the earth. There's a purpose on the inside of you. And it's not for you to just get married, have kids, get a good paying job and be a good person. It's for you to actually weave your way as a born again Christian into the world around you so that the world around you rises to a new level. 
I want to share a dream with you, and then I'm going to, I'm going to dismiss us. I believe that this dream, uh, it, 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 it really means, it means something to me incredibly, but I believe, I'm believing this for you as well. After I woke up from this dream, this is what I wrote. I said, I feel you and you surround me. I'm speaking to Jesus in this. I hear you calling, asking me to take your hand. You lift me up into the back of what looks like the bed of a truck. I know it was Jesus when there was a truck mentioned. It had to have been a God dream. It says, we were close to the tailgate and I was a young boy. I imagine myself about 10 years old. We drive through what looks like fields of grass and flowers, but we aren't on a road and we aren't leaving any tire marks in this field. So I instantly in my mind, I'm like, okay, we're in heaven. There's no death in heaven. If we're driving across grass, if we're driving across fields of flowers, they're springing right back up. This has to be, this has to be heaven. All of a sudden, we're now looking over the cab of the truck and you've got your arm around me to hold me close so that I don't fall. It was like I was standing on that little small ledge that separates the cab of the truck from the bed of the truck. And I'm looking over the cab. Soon the flowers are turning into the faces of some people that I have seen and people that I hadn't seen. Not one of them is looking away from me. Even the ones we drive past, they turned and they watched me until we were out of sight. All of a sudden, and Jesus says, I am showing you the influence that you'll have on the earth as a man. I'm gonna assign you to make people great again. He said, you're a gold digger, son, now go dig. And I believe this for your life too. I believe that, that you'll never understand the full impact of influence that you have on the earth. There will be people that you know that you impacted and there will be people that just watched you live every single day of your life the same, uh, the same every single day and, and it impacted them enough that somehow, some way, some shape, some form, they actually found Jesus because of you. I firmly believe this dream is something that we actually can experience as a reality. I believe that there's value in every single person on the earth. I don't care what they've done or what they haven't done. I believe that Jesus gave his whole life for the world. Those that would accept and those that wouldn't accept. That while we were still sinners, at the right time, Jesus died for us. That while we were his enemies, he went through with it. To the point of death on the cross, why? Because there is gold to be mined out of the hearts of every single person on the earth. And the Lord is waiting for us to realize that we are on an assignment to live our lives in a way where we infiltrate every area around us by being who we are, followers of Jesus, attached and understand that attached to us is the name of Jesus so that the whole lump will begin to rise. You can do this. This is in you, it's on you because Jesus is in you and he is greater than the one that is in the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.